Open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, specifically this morning, we are looking at verses 16 through 26, Galatians chapter 5, and I've entitled this chapter, Standing in Your Spiritual Freedom in Jesus Christ. Standing in Your Spiritual Freedom in Jesus Christ. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago. You'll notice the picture up on the screen. It's called 12 Years a Slave. If you've never seen the movie, it's a true story. It's a very moving story. It's a very gripping story. It'll make you angry. It'll make you cry. But it's a true story about a man named Solomon Winthrop, or Northrop rather. He lived in upstate New York, and uh, he was free because you know the northern states uh, didn't embrace slavery, and so he was a free man. And He actually was a man of means, and he actually was in Washington, D.C., and through certain events, he was actually tricked, and he was captured, and he was sold as a slave to the South. And he was a slave for 12 years in the South, and by God's providence, he happened to run into a man from Canada who was an abolitionist. In the movie, Brad Pitt plays that role, and he was able to get his freedom once again. You see, he was a free man, but he went into slavery. And that's a picture of what was going on with the Galatian. The Galatian Christians had experienced freedom in Jesus Christ. Paul came and he preached the gospel. And many of them, because of Judaizers or false teachers, were tempted to go back into Judaism and basically be in bondage or in slavery again. And there were two areas primarily that the Galatians were tempted to go back into slavery. Number one is what we would call legalism. And I know there are different forms of legalism, but legalism, screen, says basically that you have to earn your way to heaven. What the Galatians were being taught by the Judaizers was that in order to get to heaven, faith alone in Jesus Christ is not enough. You must keep the law of Moses and you must be circumcised. And so that was a form of salvation legalism. It was basically adding works to the gospel And so Paul in the first four chapters of Galatians has to combat this legalism, and what he does is he gives well-crafted arguments throughout chapters one through four on why we're saved by faith alone and not good works. And so they were tempted to go back into legalism. But secondly, there was another area, and this is where we get into chapters five and six, not legalism, but libertarianism. This basically says that now that I'm a Christian, Now that I've been forgiven, because this idea of faith alone in Jesus Christ, all I got to do is believe in God and I'll be saved, now I can live like the devil. I can do whatever I want to do, and it doesn't matter if I live for God. As long as I'm forgiven, I'm free to do whatever I want. And so in chapters 5 and 6, what Paul is combating there is this idea of antinomianism against the law or libertinism, which basically says I'm at liberty to do whatever I want to do. And so these are the two areas that the Galatian Christians were tempted to go back into and become slaves. And so notice what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. He makes a declaration here, and really this is the theme of the chapter. He says to them, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. In other words, Christ set you free from legalism. He set you free from antinomianism or libertarianism. And he says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Notice they had a responsibility to stand firm and not go back into legalism and not go back into this mentality of antinomianism. 
Now, what Paul is going to do throughout this chapter is he's going to give us five ways by which you and I can stand firm and we can experience freedom in Jesus Christ. Let me review the first four that we looked at last week, and then we'll pick up the final one for this morning. Number one, if you want to experience spiritual freedom, you must stand in that freedom. He noted that in verse one. He says, stand. In other words, you got to firmly plant your feet and say, you know what? I'm going to make a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm going to commit myself to Christ. I'm going to walk with him, and I'm not going to go back to legalism or libertarianism. He says you got to stand, and you know what that means? You got to be active. You got to make a decision of your will that you're going to stand firm in your walk with God because you and I know the world will pull us in every which way. We live in a time now where it's difficult to be a Christian, not because of persecution, but because of all the materialism and pleasure that's going on. You got to take your stand. Secondly, I noted for you last time that you must stop depending on your good works to get you into heaven. In verses 2 through 6, he argues why depending on your good works cannot get you into heaven. Remember, that's what the Judaizers were teaching, that it's faith in Christ plus circumcision, keeping the law of Moses. And so he argues against that. Thirdly, he says, avoid negative influences in your life. And here, he's basically warning them of the Judaizers, the false teachers, and he says, look, you were running the race well. Who cut in on you? That was the Judaizers. He says they're like leaven. What happens is their influence spreads and it corrupts everyone. And then he uses a very strong statement. He says they want to preach circumcision. He says, why don't they go the whole way and emasculate themselves? And so he's very, very strong in his terminology. And then fourthly and finally, last week we looked at one other way to have freedom in Christ, and that is serve others. Paul says you're free in Christ, but you're not free to indulge the flesh. Rather, he says out of love, he says serve other people. Now for this morning, we want to look at the fifth principle. If you and I are going to be free in Jesus Christ, if we're going to stand firm in our freedom, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this in verses 16 through 26. You see, if you and I are going to stand firm and experience spiritual freedom, there's no other way other than being a Spirit-filled Christian. Now I'm going to go into what that means, but listen carefully. You're either a Spirit-filled Christian or you're a Christian controlled more by your flesh. You say, Mike, don't we go back and forth between the two? Many times we do. But there is one realm that defines you more than the other realm. Now, whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always associated with freedom. The flesh is always associated with death and bondage. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, notice what Paul here says about the Holy Spirit and freedom. In verse 17, He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. You see, we sang about that this morning. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who provides us freedom in Jesus Christ. Not only freedom from hell, but also freedom in our Christian life to walk in victory. We have that freedom in Christ. That's what the Spirit provides for us. And listen, when you and I walk in the Spirit, as we're going to see, we're able to maintain that freedom because we can lose the freedom. Just like 12 years a slave, we can lose that freedom when we walk in the flesh rather than following the Lord Jesus Christ. The story is told about Abraham Lincoln and this particular slave girl. Um, He noticed that this slave girl was at the market and she was about to be purchased by a slave owner. And so Abraham Lincoln went up and he bid for this particular slave girl and he won the bid. 
And as soon as he won the bid, he said to this young lady, he said, you're free to go. And she said, uh, what do you mean by freedom? He said, you're free to go, you know, because she didn't understand what that meant. And he said, no, you're free to go. She said, excuse me, sir. She said, am I free to say anything I want to say? He said, you're free to say anything you want to say. She said, am I free to become anyone I want to become? He said, you're free to become anyone you want to become. She said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. Are you saying that I'm free to go wherever I want to go and follow whoever I want to follow? And he said, yes, you're free to go wherever you want to go and follow whoever you want to follow. With tears down her eyes, she said, I want to follow you. And you see, that's what the Spirit does for us. The Spirit gives us freedom to where we want to follow Jesus Christ. We don't want to follow the flesh and live in bondage. And so, if we're going to be free, we got to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what Paul is going to do in this chapter is he's going to teach us several things about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me share them with you this morning. First of all, I would have you note the command to be filled with the Spirit. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Notice that's a command. The word walk here is used of our daily conduct. He commands us to walk in the Spirit. Being a Spirit-filled Christian, listen carefully, is not an option. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. He uses the command as well in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this in the Greek, be being kept filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's a present tense. It's continual. You and I are not filled with the Spirit once, and that's it. We are to be filled with the Spirit moment by moment by moment. It's a command in the Greek, be being kept filled with the Spirit. You say, well, wait a minute. Galatians says we're to walk in the Spirit. Ephesians says we're to be filled with the Spirit. Which one is it? It's both. It means the same thing. Because if I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to therefore in my daily conduct walk by the Holy Spirit. And you see, both of those are commanded. It's not an option. And if I don't submit to that command, what happens is, as we're going to see, I become a carnal Christian. I become a Christian who is more controlled by my fallen nature than I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit. By the way, the word carnal Christian, it means fleshly. We get the word carnival from that. What do you do when you go to a carnival? It's fleshly entertainment. We get the word carnivore from that, a meat eater. And so a carnal Christian is someone who's not submitting to this command but rather they're allowing the flesh to control them on a regular basis. Now let me define what it means to be filled with the Spirit because if we're commanded to be filled, what does it mean to be filled? Here's a misconception that we often uh, think about when we think about filling. You'll notice the picture up on the screen. You'll notice there a gas uh, tank there being filled up or we think of a glass being half empty and then we fill it up to the top. That's often what we think about when we think about the filling of the Spirit. In other words, you and I, as we live our Christian life, we leak, and we need to be filled with the Spirit. The word there has nothing to do with filling up a glass to the top or filling up a gas tank. The word filled in the Greek means control. It literally means this. You and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit at any given moment, or we're under the control of the flesh. There's those two realities. It's either you're spirit-controlled or you're controlled by the flesh. In fact, the word control here is used in Acts chapter 13. It says that when Paul preached the resurrection, it says the religious leaders were filled with jealousy. It's that same word, filled with jealousy, used in Ephesians 5, 
filled with the Spirit. What does it mean they were filled with jealousy? They were under the control of that emotion. And so what it means to be filled is not filling up a glass. It simply means control. A good illustration would be this glove right here. You and I know that this glove is not usable until it is controlled by something. And so if you take my hand right now, the Bible says that you and I are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is able to control us. The Spirit is able to use us. But you and I know that at any given moment, we can be controlled by the flesh. And we can let the flesh control us. And so we got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You say, is that a mystical thing? It's not a mystical thing. Sometimes God does supernatural things. But listen, to be filled or controlled with the Spirit is normal Christianity. You say, Mike, but didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I was saved? You got the Holy Spirit when you were saved, but there's a difference between being indwelt by the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit. Every Christian by default is indwelt by the Spirit. Not every Christian is controlled by the Spirit. You say, well, how do I get controlled by the Spirit? There's four things you need to do. Number one, you need to surrender. You need to surrender. You'll notice the picture up on the screen there. You'll notice prior to coming to Jesus Christ, who was on the throne of your life? You were, self. As soon as you got saved, Jesus is supposed to be on the throne of your life, and you're supposed to be on the outside. And so if you're going to be controlled by the Spirit, you got to surrender to the Spirit. That's a moment-by-moment decision. It's a moment-by-moment decision to obey. You and I know that. We're going along, and all of a sudden, temptation hits us. What am I going to do in this situation? I get a thought in my mind. What am I going to do with that thought? You see, I can choose to surrender the control of the Spirit, or I can get in the flesh and say something that I shouldn't say. I can have an impure motive, whatever it is. So if you want to be controlled by the Spirit, you got to surrender and obey. Secondly, you got to study the Word of God. Colossians 3 says, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. You know what a Spirit-filled Christian is? Is one who is saturated by the Word of God. They have the mind of Christ. In fact, they're so filled with the Word of God, when somebody cuts them, they bleed the Bible. But it means to have the mind of Christ. you got to know the Word of God. Let it dwell within you richly, Colossians 3 says. And then thirdly, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, because you and I know we're going to blow it all the time, we need to confess our sin. Confession of sin is just like breathing. We need to confess our sin on a regular basis, and we need to ask God to forgive us. And then finally, if you and I are going to be filled with the Spirit, we need to sing praises to God. We need to sing praises to God. Why? Because if you read Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be being kept filled with the Spirit, and then he gives results of what it will look like if we're filled with the Spirit, and one of them is we will sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. In other words, worship. Worship is not only a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit, but it's also a requirement to be filled with the Spirit. And so those four things right there are what cause you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled by the Spirit. Am I surrendered? Am I living an obedient Christian life? Not a perfect life, but is my heart surrendered to Jesus Christ? Secondly, am I in the Word? Am I in prayer? Thirdly, am I dealing with sin? keeping a short account, and then finally, am I singing praise to God? You see, that is what you and I must do if we're going to obey this command to be filled with the Spirit. So we've seen the command to be filled with the Spirit. Let's secondly look at the consequence of being filled with the Spirit. What's the result if I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit? Notice verse 14. 
He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, that's the command, and now here's the consequence, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I mean, that's self-evident. If I'm being controlled by the Spirit, I'm obviously not going to fulfill the flesh. Why? Because the two are mutually exclusive. I can't be controlled by the Spirit and at the very same time given to the flesh. On the other hand, I can't be controlled by the flesh and manifest the Spirit at the same time. So what happens when I'm controlled by the Spirit, when I face temptation, when I face a trial and I want to walk away, when I'm tempted to be spiritually lazy all the time, and we all battle that, but when I'm tempted in those things, you know what happened? When I choose to say yes to the Spirit and His control, I'm not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's just a self-evident truth. Many of you know this personality up on the screen, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is a pastor at Stonebriar Church in uh, Frisco, Texas. He has a radio program called Insight for Living. The guy's been in ministry probably almost uh, 60 years. He's written probably over 100 books. In one of his books, he tells the story of how he was doing a conference in Canada. And while he was there, he was staying at a particular hotel, and his wife wasn't with him. And so he was kind of bored. He was lonely. And he had about two more days. And so he was down in the lobby. He was thumbing through the sports section, and nothing appealed to him. And so he got up, and he kind of sighed because he was bored and lonely, and he was going to go back to his room. And as he was going back to his room, he noticed two ladies, and they were by a payphone, and uh, they kind of laughed, smiled, and he smiled at them, and he moved on. Well, he got to the elevator, and he pushed the button. The elevator opened. He gets in. All of a sudden, behind him are those two girls. He pushes number six where his room is. He noticed they didn't push a button, so he said, what button would you like me to push for you? And he said one of them looked at him sensually and said, how about floor number six? Do you have any plans tonight? And here is what he said, Chuck Swindoll, quote, we were all alone in the elevator in Canada. I was flattered, to be honest, since most folks don't usually mistake me for Tom Selleck. <laughs> These women were available and I was lonely. On that trip from the lobby to the sixth floor, I had an extremely significant decision to make. The bait had been dropped. You walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he said, you know what came to my mind? Not my wife and my kids initially, not my reputation and my ministry initially. He said, what came to my mind was Galatians 6, which we'll look at next week. Whatever a man sows, this he also what? Reaps. He said, Ephesians 6 came to his mind. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He looked at both of those girls and he said, no, thank you. I have plans tonight. And he walked off the elevator. You see, when you and I are controlled by the Holy Spirit, when we're filled Inevitably, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, and I don't care what area that is. Now, all of us would admit we give into the flesh more often than we want to or care to, but it's a struggle. You say, Mike, well, is it really this simple? No, it's really not that simple all the time, and that leads me to the third principle of being filled with the Spirit, and that is the conflict of being filled with the Spirit. 
We've seen the command, we've seen the consequence, but listen, there is a conflict that goes on when you and I want to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to let the Spirit control us or the flesh control us. Paul shares this conflict with us. He says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You and I know that we always don't do the things that we want to do. We say, God, you know my what? You know my heart. God, forgive me for doing that. You know that's not in my heart, but my flesh got the best of me. And he says, listen, there's a titanic struggle going on between the flesh and the spirit. You say, Mike, what's the flesh? The flesh is that sin principle we inherited from Adam. Some call it our old nature. Some call it our body of sin. Paul uses that terminology in Romans chapter 7. In other words, it's your human body. Your body hasn't been redeemed yet. Your soul has been redeemed, but your body has bents and desires. Whatever you want to call it, there is this principle that's like gravity. It pulls us away from God. And Paul says you have this principle like gravity warring against the Holy Spirit who is a person. And the two are in constant conflict with one another, and as a result, you and I have this titanic struggle going on on the inside of us, and he says in verse uh, 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does he mean by that? Well, if you and I are led by the Spirit, we don't need all these rules and regulations because the Spirit will direct me. The Spirit will control me. I don't need the legalism of the Judaizers. But he says there is this struggle. And listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you say, Mike, the Christian life is not easy. I'm going to tell you what, it's easy if you're not a committed Christian. If you're just a Sunday Christian only, the Christian life is pretty simple. You just show up to church. But if you're trying to read the Bible, if you're trying to obey the Lord, you're trying to serve and be involved in ministry, and you're trying to lead your family in the ways of God, and you're saying no to the flesh and the world and the devil, and you're following Jesus Christ, there is going to be a titanic struggle on the inside of you that's normal Christian living. Paul even struggled with that. Listen to Romans chapter 7. Paul says this, and I believe Paul was a committed Christian here when he said this. I don't understand what I do. You ever felt that way before? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. Man, there are things that I do that I go, Lord, forgive me for saying that. How can I have said that? Lord, I've thought that thought 20,000 times. Forgive me again. You ever been there before? Lord, I know I should read my Bible, but man, Facebook or flesh book gets the best of me. He says in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And here's the point. Paul had this struggle between his new man, the regenerated man, the redeemed man, and then his old sin principle that was battling and waging war within him. How many of you like Rocky? You've seen the Rocky series before? We all know there's so many of them now. In fact, they're coming out with a Rocky 7. Here it is right here. It's called Nursing Home Rumble. 
Somebody pointed out the depends on the bottom of that, and uh, I didn't even see that there. But you got Rocky Seven here, the nursing home rumble. Now, if I was to ask you of all the Rockies, how many of you like one the best? Raise your hand. How many of you like two? Somebody like two. Two was a flop. How about three with, uh, uh, what's his name? What was his name? No, that's number four. What was number three? Mr. T. How many of you like number four? Remember, five was a flop. That's why he did Rocky Balboa at number six. But do you remember this one right here? Number four, you got Ivan Drago and you got Rocky. And you know, that's a picture of the flesh and the spirit. What was happening in the ring? You remember uh, Ivan Drago? I liked his Russian voice. You will lose. You will lose. And what did Rocky say? Go for it. Go for it. It's like so cheesy, the lines, you know? But you know what the flesh does? The flesh says, you will lose. You will lose. If he dies, he dies. You see, there is this constant battle going on, this conflict. In fact, it's like this picture here, two sumo wrestlers. You ever seen a sumo wrestler match? What happens is the goal is these two guys, and I've seen this before, they step down like this, they get in their position, and they bend down like this, and all of a sudden, it's like they collide, and you see the blubber just flapping everywhere. And you know what the goal is? The goal is to push the other one outside of the circle. You know what the flesh wants to do in this conflict? It wants to push you outside of the circle of God's will. It wants to push you away from God so that you're not following God. And listen, when sumo wrestlers go at it, there is this constant struggle. You say, Mike, who wins? Well, there was this old Cherokee Indian, and uh, his grandson came up to him and was talking to him, and his grandfather decided one day that he was going to teach him a life lesson, and he says, you know what? Every single human being, the grandfather said to his grandson, has a struggle on the inside. He says it's like two coyotes. You have a black coyote, and you have a white coyote, and they're battling, and he says the white coyote represents love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and he says the black coyote represents division, hate, sexual immorality, and he went on and on and on. And the grandson looked at his grandfather and he said, which coyote wins? And here's what the grandfather said, the one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. That's the bottom line. In this conflict, the one you feed the most, if you're feasting on the world and you're constantly imbibing the world, and again, I understand, we watch TV, we watch the news, I understand that, but if we're feasting on the Word or the world more than we are the Word of God, you know who's going to win? The flesh is going to win. Some of you need to spend less time on social media. Some of you need to spend less time watching television on your computer, or you may spend too much time on your job. Your job is a good thing, but if your job is causing you to neglect your time with God, it is so critical if we're going to win this battle, this conflict, that we feed our soul the Word of God. You say, all right, Mike, how do I know whether I'm controlled more by the flesh or more by the Spirit? Well, that leads me to the fourth aspect of being filled with the Spirit, and that is the characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. The characteristics of being filled with the Spirit. What are the characteristics of a person who is controlled by the Spirit or controlled by the flesh? And listen, ultimately it's this, the root determines the fruit. What do I mean by that? 
Well, if you look at this tree right here, if I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, that's the root. Notice the fruit that's going to be produced in my life. Notice the characteristics. On the other hand, if I'm controlled more by the flesh, if that's the root of my life, I'll produce fleshly desires, and you see the fruit there. So listen carefully. If you want to know whether or not you're controlled more by the flesh or by the Spirit, look at the fruit you're producing in your life as a lifestyle. We're all going to produce flesh, sometimes daily. But listen, as a lifestyle, do you see the manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit in your life? If you don't see that, then you got to get the root problem taken care of. Why? Because roots always determine fruits. This came home to me several years ago. I noticed on the back of my neck, I had a lump. It came out of nowhere. You ever had that before? Or something on your body, you're like, where'd this come from? So I'm feeling it going, this thing's getting bigger. I better, I better get it looked at. So I went to a dermatologist and he said, oh, it's benign, nothing wrong. He says, it's just a cyst. We need to cut it out. So they did the Novocaine, they put it there, and they went ahead and they cut it out and they sutured it up. And I thought, all right, everything's good. Went home. About four or five weeks later, I feel the lump again. I thought, man, this is a problem. So I went back and I said, dude, you didn't get the lump. And he said, all right. He goes, oh. He goes, we never pulled the root out. And so it's like they tied me down. And they began their implements, and they were just pulling and pulling and pulling. I felt like I was being jerked back like this. And you know what? He finally says, oh, we got the root. He says, you want to see it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but I saw it, you know, because you're curious. Who is that lady on TV? Pimple Popper. Have you seen that lady? Gosh, man. That is, I, it's kind of fascinating, but it's just absolutely gross. I won't go into the details, but she has, she has over a million people following her. Her name is what? Mrs. Pimple Popper or Miss Pimple? I don't know what it is. But you know what? I had a root. They didn't get out, and you know what it was doing? It was producing bad fruit. Once they got the root, that lump has never come back. And so Paul is saying here, look at the characteristics in your life. How do I know if I'm a spirit-filled Christian or a carnal, fleshly Christian? Look at the fruit you're producing. If you don't like the fruit, you got to deal with the root. Now, he gives the characteristics here, first of all, of the flesh. We're all familiar with this passage, very well known. Verse 19, now the deeds or the fruit of the flesh, our fallen nature, are evident, which are, and then he gives a list here. It's not an exhaustive list, but he divides them into several categories. One category would refer to sexual sins immorality, impurity, sensuality. That deals with our sexual ethics on the outside and in our thought life. It would include pornography, looking at pornography. It would include homosexual behavior. It would include extramarital sex, premarital sex, bestiality, adultery, whatever you want to name, it's there. He's saying when you're controlled by that, it's the flesh. Then he goes into religious sins idolatry in verse 20 and sorcery. We know idolatry is putting anything before God. In ancient times, they had primitive forms of idols. Today, we have more sophisticated idols. Sorcery, interesting word in the Greek. We get the word pharmakia from that. What word do you think that comes from in the English? Pharmacy, drugs, because what would happen is when they would engage in witchcraft or sorcery, 
they would induce that religious experience by taking drugs. So when a person is controlled by drugs or they're in some type of false religion or they're into witchcraft, into spirit guides, uh, worshiping of angels, ghosts, flesh. You say, can Christians fall into this? Sure they can. Then he mentions social sins. He says, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, verse 21, envying. Whenever you see a lot of discord in relationships, in marriage, in government, listen, you want to know our way, our government is the way it is? It's all flesh. It's all people controlled by their fallen nature. Now, that's not to say that two spirit-filled Christians can't disagree. Paul disagreed. Remember him and Barnabas split off on the missionary journeys? It's possible. But when you see marriages constantly falling apart, when you see people in the church, they can't get along, they're backstabbing one another, typically that's manifestation of the flesh. It's not spirit. Then he mentions partying sins, drunkenness. That's a big issue in our culture, using marijuana today. Well, you know, God grows the marijuana plant, Pastor Mike. Doesn't he want me to smoke it? Apart from medical reasons that have been sanctioned, and that's a whole other topic, and I'm not going to go on that rabbit trail, but listen, most people today are abusing drugs, carousing. That typically happens at parties. When you get drunk, what happens? It lowers your inhibitions, and then what happens? It's you want to carouse. And he says, and like these things. What does he mean? He means there's more I could give you. And then notice he gives this warning of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you before, watch this, this is very strong, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you are defined by these sins as a lifestyle, he's saying it reveals your nature. Because remember, whatever your nature is, is going to come out on the outside. Jesus said, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. So he's saying, if you're defined by these sins as a lifestyle, he says it reveals your nature. You're not saved. You say, but Mike, you don't understand. I prayed a prayer when I was seven. I went to a Billy Graham crusade. Listen, it doesn't matter about your profession. The issue is fruit. Now, Christians can fall into this. You say, how long can a Christian fall into this before we say they're not saved. I don't know, and that's not for me to judge. Why? Because only God knows the heart. He's privy to that information. I'm not. But if I have a brother or sister in Christ who says, oh, I'm a Christian. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible. They're living like the world. They're partying all the time. You see no spiritual fruit in their life, and they say, oh, yeah, but I prayed that prayer. Here's what I tell them. It is possible that you may be saved. It is possible, and you're being disobedient. However, it's a strong chance you're not saved. I don't give them assurance of salvation. Well, then he gives the other characteristics. There's the flesh. Now there's the Spirit. John did a series on this last year, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, if the root of your life is your spirit controlled, here's the fruit. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he could give more. 
If the root is the Holy Spirit and you're controlled by the Spirit, this is what the fruit is going to look like. Not perfectly, but you're going to see a pattern. And then he says this, against such things there's no law. What does he mean by that? You ever seen a law that says, hey, stop exercising self-control. That's wrong. You ever seen a law? You ever seen a police officer walk up to a man helping an old lady across the street and says, if you don't stop that, I'm going to give you a ticket. You don't see that. Why? Because there's no laws against this. We want this in our culture. So let me ask you a question. What characteristics are you manifesting more of, the flesh or the spirit? How do I know what the root of my life is? Look at the fruit. If you don't like the fruit, change the root. And you know what? A lot of people, they don't want to change the root, and that's why they keep producing the bad fruit. Now, let me give you a caution here, and you'll notice the next picture up on the screen, plastic fruit. There are people that appear to be saved that ostensibly seem Christian, but really they're producing plastic fruit. Plastic fruit looks like the real deal. Plastic fruit, when you go into a house and you see it, you go, wow, that, and then you pick it up and you go, no, this is not real. There are people that are very moral on the outside, sometimes more moral than Christians, but they're not really saved. So don't assume if you see in someone's life good behavior, they're automatically saved. It could be plastic fruit. Well, there's one final component this morning of being filled with the Spirit, and that is the conquest of being filled with the Spirit. When you think of conquest, you think of conquering. Well, that's what he says in verse 24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian, notice what it says here in the Greek, it's in the past tense. This has already happened. You have crucified the flesh your fallen nature with its passions and its what? Desires. You know what he's saying there? You're more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. When you became a Christian, the old you died and sin's power has been broken. I don't have to say yes to sin. Well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I'm supposed to sin so it really doesn't matter because I can't overcome sin anyway. No, wrong mentality. I'm victorious in Christ. Now, we will sin inevitably, but I need to change my thinking from I am more than a conqueror, the old me has died. For example, look at this picture up on the screen. This boy right here on the left with the black heart represents you prior to salvation. You were a sinner. You were in Adam. You didn't know Christ. Sin dominated you. You were under the tyranny of sin here. Sin was on the throne of your life. When you accepted Jesus Christ, the old you, the sinful you, was crucified with Christ. Then the old you was what? Buried. And then the Bible says that you were raised to newness of life. Notice his heart now is cleansed. You are a new man in Jesus Christ. And so the old you has been what? Crucified. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that I no longer have passions and desires because the fact of the matter is, as a Christian, I'm still pulled. I'm still pulled. But what it means is those desires and the power of sin has been broken so that I can say no to sin now. See, the old man died. I was reading a story about a woman 
She dated her high school sweetheart. They fell in love. They got married. Had a great marriage, 20, 30 years. Her husband's name was John. John suddenly died of a heart attack. She was heartbroken. And so she didn't want to part from her husband, so here's what she did. She had him embalmed. And then she took him, and she put him in a glass case in a chair, and she put it in the front door inside of her plantation home. And so every day when she came home, she would walk in, and she would greet John. And she would say, hi, John. And then she'd walk upstairs. Well, this went on day after day up to a year. Finally, she needed a change of scenery, so she went to Europe. And while she was there, she met another man whose spouse had passed away. And they ended up meeting and they ended up dating while they were in Europe. They ended up having a great romance together, and they got married when they were in Europe. And so they, he thought to himself, this is great. I'm going to take my bride back to the States. And so they flew back to her plantation and as soon as he got in the car or out of the car, he said to himself, this is going to be my great opportunity to take my bride, pick her up, and bring her over the threshold inside the house. And so he picks her up, kicks the door open, and he walks through the door, and to his chagrin, he sees this glass case with this man that's been embalmed in it, and immediately his mouth drops, and he says, uh, who is that? And she says, oh. She says, that's my old man, John. John passed away years ago, and she says, I kept him in this glass case. Well, he put her down, he goes outside, he digs a hole, and he takes the glass case with John in it, and he buries it and covers it up. You know, that's a picture of what happened to us at Salvation. The old man was buried. But you know what we often do? We're all guilty of this. We keep saying hi to the old man. We keep greeting the old man. We keep waving at the old man. You know what? If we're not careful, we give the old man supremacy. And the Bible says we've conquered. So that's why he says as we close in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if you are controlled by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become what? Boastful? Challenging one another envying one another. Why does he say this? Because you know what was going on with the Galatians? Christian cannibalism. Backbiting, pride, envy. There's this constant rancor. Now watch this. Are you listening? Say amen. You know what the test of a spirit-filled life is? Relationships. That's where my Christianity is tested, and that's where I find out if I'm spirit-filled or not. Because listen, life would be easy if it wasn't for people. Am I right? If it was just you and your pet, just you and your goldfish or your lizard, or your dog or your cat, it would be easy. But what happens when you have children? How many of you would say your patience is tested? How many of you would say when you get married you see the flesh and the spirit come out, right? I tell people, me and Laura don't argue. We just have intense fellowship. That's how I justify it. <laughs> you see, it's relationships that bring out the flesh or the spirit. 
And that's what was going on here. And so what does Paul say as we close? If you want freedom, if you want freedom in Christ, you've got to what? You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He gave us the command to be filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit this morning? Are you obeying that command? He gave us the consequence. If you're filled with the Spirit, you won't fulfill the flesh. He gave us the conflict. There's going to be a titanic struggle to surrender to the Holy Spirit's control in our life. And then he gives the characteristics. He said, hey, if you're allowing the Spirit to control you, here's what the fruit's going to look like. If you're allowing the flesh to control you, here's what the flesh is going to look like. And then finally, he says, don't forget, you've conquered. The old you has died, you're a new creation, and you have victory in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, let's be Spirit-filled Christians. Because listen, when you don't have a church that is a Spirit-filled church, you know what kind of church you have? What is it? A dead church. You have a church that has no power, and that's what's going on in the American church today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us of the Spirit-filled life. Help us, Father, to walk in the Spirit. Father, we admit that we fail, we blow it, but God, thank you for confession, thank you for forgiveness, thank you that we could give up control. Help us, Lord, to submit to your Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis, moment by moment. Father, we thank you, and we give you praise and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.